What I want to do, what we're wanting to do in this series is introduce you uh, to the Holy Spirit. And for some of you, it's a, it's a reintroduction. For some of you, you got off on the wrong foot with the Holy Spirit. Anybody like, you kind of relate to that? Sometime in your life, you got off on the wrong foot. And uh, with, with the most wonderful person in the earth today, and that is this third person of the Godhead. Last week, we looked at who the Holy Spirit is, and we looked at who the Holy Spirit isn't, and uh, we learned that, what's, what's some of the things that we learned? That he's not scary. scary. That's right. The Holy Spirit is not scary, it turns out. It's an amazing thing. Uh, we also learned that he is essential, right? The Holy Spirit is essential. We learned that he is a person, right? He's not smoke. He's not the force. He's a person. Hallelujah. And we also learned that he's personal. The Holy Spirit is personal. So this week we're actually going to get into what the Holy Spirit actually does. What is his role what is his uh, purpose in our life? And, and what is the difference that he wants to, to make in your life right now? Amen? Amen. Uh, guys, my thing's not working here, so you, I might have to ask you all to hit the, the slides. Let's, let's uh, stop right now and, and just enter into prayer, because we want the Holy Spirit always involved. We want the Holy Spirit involved, especially when we're talking about the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your goodness and your mercy Holy Spirit, we thank you that your presence is here with us today. We ask you to flow through us, flow into our hearts today. Convict our hearts, open our hearts, make it soft for whatever it is that you want to say to us today. We want to know what your words are, not my words. We want to hear your words. I thank you, God, that each and every person in this room will leave with exactly that special touch that they need from you today. That they will leave with that assurance that you love them, that you are on their side, that you have great plans for them. We praise you for it. We thank you. Hallelujah. And in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 All right. So the Holy Spirit is part of the Godhead. He's the, he's the one that we, we often don't think about very much, right? We, we, we know about the Father. We know about the Son. Everybody's pretty comfortable with that. We get to the Holy Spirit and we're like, eh, I don't, yeah, okay. You know, sometimes he feels like the third wheel instead of the third member of the Godhead. I think a lot of that too is because, you know, he's not like part of, that's not the way we describe things in our everyday life. If I was introducing to you my family and I said, here's my, I'd like to introduce you my father, right? I'd like to introduce my son, right? Here's Julius. Here's my wife. Here's my mother, right? We don't say... And here's our family spirit, right? We don't, it, so it doesn't like connect with anything normal in our life. But the thing for us to remember, the thing for us to remember in all this, that the Holy Spirit is real. He is a member of the Godhead. And the Godhead is part of what we call the Trinity, right? We all know about the, the Trinity. It's not three different gods. That's important for us to always keep in mind, right? There is one God in three persons. And this is fundamental to, to Christianity. Not three gods. We have one God. In Deuteronomy uh, 6, 4, famous scripture here. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one. Fundamental 
to Christianity, fundamental to Judaism, is this scripture right here. It's the most famous fundamental prayer on record here. It's called the Shema, right? And it was quoted by Jesus Christ himself. He referred to this scripture. The Lord is one. God is one. But he's also three in one, right? Now, if you have trouble wrapping your mind around that, that's okay, that's probably good. If you're having trouble wrapping your mind around it, you're probably further along the way to, to getting a, a good grip on, what, on the reality of this. It's a mystery, and it's something that only makes sense in like the 14th dimension or something, whatever God is operating in, right? Here in our four dimensions of space-time, it doesn't make any sense. Uh, it, but it, it's, pretty, it's pretty tough for us to, to fathom. And so we have metaphors and things like that, pictures to help us to try to, to try to fathom what it is like, right? We talk about the Trinity. Well, it's like a pie, right? You got the, you got the crust and then you got the filling and they got some ice cream. It's just melting around, you know, going all over the place. It's, so it's kind of like a pie. It's like an egg, right? You got the shell, you got the yolk, you got the, the white and, you know, and, and, or, or that's what, or it's like, you know, in, in a, when St. Patrick landed in Ireland, he explained the Trinity with the clover, the three-leaf clover, and he's, oh, there's the holy Godhead right there, and the, you know, it's the three states of water, it's ice, it's, all those things are great, they kind of help us, you know, they're kind of good enough, but of course, the metaphor breaks down, the, you know, if you take it, take it to the end, none of them are, none of them are perfect, Um, and that's okay, they're helpful, but the truth is all the analogies break down, and they stop being perfect, because they're all just a shadow of the truth, They're all just a shadow of the Trinity, Um, but that's okay. It doesn't mean it's not true, right? In fact, uh, a lot of people have pointed out it's probably a sign that it probably is true, something this unfathomable. You know, uh, C.S. Lewis, he he pointed out that the, the Trinity is something that he, you know, he was a very intellectual guy. He's really thinking things through logically. He said the Trinity must be true because this is nothing that a man would invent, Right? When you think about the kind of gods man invents, we, you know, what do you come up with? Zeus, Apollo, Hera, you know, sitting on top of the mountain, you know, getting mad, throwing down lightning bolts every once in a while. You know, they get bored, they come down the mountain, sleep with the women. That's like, that's the kind of gods you get when you make, when people make up gods. Right? But when God reveals himself to man, he didn't ask us, do you guys understand, is this okay with y'all? Right? It's, it's, it's his reality, right? And so he didn't ask us our approval. Um, we just stand in awe. And we say, amen, amen. I, I was thinking, you know, my dog, when I, Mel and I used to have this really cute little dog. My dog did not understand in the slightest the, the, the spiritual or emotional confluence of our marriage between me and Melissa, right? He was just glad we were home, right? You're home. I'm so glad I love y'all more than anything, Right? We can understand, like, oh, okay, so y'all are, like, intimately knit now, and your spirits are one. You're right. The dog doesn't understand that. Well, we don't understand God. That's okay. But we can know it is true, and we can love him and worship him. Um, but, though, so God is one, but the word also reveals to us that the members of the Godhead do have very distinct roles and functions. Distinct roles and functions, and the Holy Spirit's role in the Godhead can be summed up in one word. That's power. The Holy Spirit's role can be summed up in power. In Genesis 1, it says, Now the, the earth was formless and empty. 
The, word there, the words there mean chaotic. There's chaos. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Right in the beginning of the Bible, the first member of the Godhead mentioned in the Bible is the Holy Spirit. Did you ever notice that? Before God, before the Father, before the Son, the first mention of God is the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God. And what is he doing? He's hovering, right? There's this boiling cauldron mass of planet, something going on here, and the Holy Spirit's hovering. The first picture, the very first inkling we get of who he is and what he does, he hovers, hovers over the chaos and this is a really rare word in the Bible, this word for hovers. In, in the English language, I'll give you some derivations here. It refers to a bird. In Deuteronomy, this word refers to a bird who, who flutters. So you can think of a hummingbird, right? The Holy Spirit is fluttering over the waters. Another translation would say trembling or vibrating. The word for spirit is this word ruach. Everybody say ruach. It's a really fun word to say, ruach, right? Very Klingon, ruach, right? It's a, it's a wind and it's a breath, but it's not just like a normal breath, like, ah, it's not, that's not ruach. Ruach is a violent explosion, ruach. It, it is what it sounds like, right? It's this blast of breath. The Holy Spirit comes with power, with power. In the New Testament, the Greek word is translated, spirit is translated pneuma, a wind, a current of air, a blast of breath, ruach, pneuma. I, I love, I was reading a, a book by Mark Batterson. He was talking about in the tradition of the Celts hundreds of years ago when the Celtic Christians, when, when Christianity first came to the, the British Isles over there. And, and so the Celtic Christians, they, they received the Holy Spirit. And their experience was very interesting because they had a very interesting name for the Holy Spirit. When, he, when they encountered the Holy Spirit, you know, remember the Celts? They were the, they like painting themselves blue and like danced around campfires and stuff like that. You know, wild people. Well, when they got saved, they didn't stop being wild, right? They just became like awesomely wild Celtic Christians now, right? And they had this interesting name for the Holy Spirit. To them, he wasn't like a sweet, peaceful dove. He was the Anged Glass, the wild goose, the wild goose. Anybody ever seen wild geese fly overhead? right? They're not peaceful, right? They're like, wow, wow. They squawk. They make a lot of noise, you know. They're, they, they're, they're, they're beautiful, but they're loud, right? To them, to the Celtic Christians, when the Holy Ghost would let loose, he was something that couldn't be tamed. He was something wild and noisy and free, right? Ruach. Did you know that every single atom in the universe, every atom in your body is vibrating, is moving, right? It's in a constant state of motion. Every cell is like vibrating at its own little frequency. It's an amazing thing. If, if any of your cells stop vibrating, it means you're dead, right? It's always moving. Every cell vibrates. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit is the very breath in our lungs. He's in the air that we breathe, the Holy Spirit. He surrounds us and he fills us. That's how close and intimate the Holy Spirit is to us. In Acts 17, it says, In Him we live and move and have our being. It's in Him that we live. See, He is life. 
right? The Spirit is the basis for all life. This word for move here is this Greek word kineo. It's where we get the word kinetic energy. And it literally means to excite, to stir up, to vibrate. Isn't that cool? In Him, we are excited. We are stirred up. We are made alive. Hallelujah. That's, that's this vibrating nature of, of the Holy Spirit. I'll tell you a story. When I was a, a young father, it, uh, my, my 13-year-old son, Julius, he was very little at the time, and we had a little spot that we liked to go. He and I, when it was just he and I, we'd go hang out at this little pizza place. It's a place he likes their pizza, and we had a good little father-son time there several times, and we'd go there and hang out, and, and usually while we were there, he would get, um, he would drink like water or iced tea or sometimes Sprite, you know, that was kind of a treat. And, um, well, his mother wasn't with us, you know, at this time, because she would have put a stop to some of this. But, uh, <laughs> but what happened this one time is, is they were out of Sprite, right? And they, did, they, they didn't have Sprite. They were out of Sprite for some reason. And so I went up there to get his little drink. And, oh, I got a cute picture. There he is, isn't he? Isn't he cute? We're going to really embarrass him now. Here we go. There he is. See, we're, at, we're there. We got, he's got his little pizza, which you can't see, barely see in the background there because it's kind of bright, but. They were out of Sprite this one time, so I go up to the drink thing, and uh, what do they have? Mountain Dew. So some of you have heard of Mountain Dew, right? You, you do the Dew. You know, the, the story with Mountain Dew, legend has it, it is one of the soft drinks that is highest in sugar, caffeine, uh, a little cocaine maybe, I don't know, but, <laughs> but it is, it's up there. It's up there. And so I, I get him some of this, and I bring it back, and I was like, hey, buddy, um, they were out of Sprite, but this is called Mountain Dew. See if you like it. So he's very small, if you can tell right there. He's, you know, he's tall, he's got a deep voice now, but he's, he's real little. And so he's got this big, you know, glass of Mountain Dew, and he starts drinking it. <laughs> Sucks that thing down. And I'm a little nervous, right? And I'm like, well, what do you think? He's shaking. He, go, he goes, that was pretty good. Can I have some more? That, when, you, when I hear the word vibrating, that's what I think. Julius, at that moment, he was filled with the spirit of Mountain Dew, right? It was, it was vibrating everything within him. This is the, the spirit of God is the basis of the energy that animates us, right? In the New Testament, think about it. Every time the apostles were in prison or they had like a prayer meeting, think about what happened. They'd have a prayer meeting. They'd start worshiping. The Holy Spirit showed up. What would always happen? What was the effect? Earthquakes. Things shake, tremble. Things start vibrating, right? Things that aren't supposed to vibrate start vibrating and, and quaking, right? So the Spirit of God is the Spirit that animates us. And whether we know it or not, it's the thing that gives us life. Whether we recognize it or not, whether we thank Him or not, His Spirit is the thing that gives us life. He makes our hearts beat. He makes our blood flow and our chemicals catalyze. This is what the Holy Spirit does. In Job 34, it says that if God were to withdraw his spirit, we would return to dust. We would return to dust. In other words, the spirit is the life force that animates us. And if God withdrew his spirit, we would just implode. We would stop vibrating. Hear me on this. 
the Holy Spirit is still hovering. He's still hovering in your life. He always has and he always will. He wants to hover over those chaotic areas that feel formless and void. The Holy Spirit, he wants to bring order out of your chaos. That's what the Holy Spirit wants to do. He wants to bring beauty out of your ashes, as it says in Isaiah. Amen. Ephesians 1.23 calls him the God who fills all things in all ways, just as he did at the beginning of creation. He hovered and he filled that void with beauty and creation and order. He hovers and he fills the void with beauty and creation. That is what he does. He wants to fill the void in your life. Where there is chaos, he wants to bring peace and order again. It is what he does. By the way, in Luke chapter 1, the angel is telling Mary, you're, you know, you're fixing to have this baby. And Mary's talking to the angel who tells her she's going to be the mother of Jesus. And he says, the Holy Spirit, what does he refer to him as? The power, the power will come and what? Overshadow you. There's that hovering again. The Holy Spirit, the power, it's going to overshadow you. It's going to bring life through his power because that's what the Holy Spirit does. He brings life through power. So we might put it this way, if you're, if you're just wanting a good tweetable moment here. Here you go. The Holy Spirit is the power that manifests the will and purposes of God. The Holy Spirit is the power that manifests the will and purposes of God. He brings into action whatever it is God commands. He, he, he turns it into flesh. He turns it into action, into reality. God the Father speaks the word. God saying, let there be, right? And who is the word? Jesus. Jesus is the word. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's Jesus. But the Holy Spirit is the one who actually manifests God's ideas and purposes in the physical world. God says, let it be. And, and the Holy Spirit says, I'm on it. You want some light? I'm on it. He's, he's the power. You can see really how beautifully the Trinity works and moves in the Gospels. Jesus said several times, I came to do the will of my Father. He would say, not my will, but him who sent me. Right? So that's the Father, and then Jesus does his will. The Holy Spirit, throughout the Gospels, we see him empowering Jesus to perform. He's the power, anointing him anointing him. Eventually, the Holy Spirit raised him from the dead, right? I mean, think about it. Jesus, for 30 years, Jesus was on the earth, the Son of God, and didn't do any miracles. So what? The Holy Spirit. That's why I think the Holy Spirit is so often associated with uh, those spiritual manifestations that make people nervous, right? Because the word manifest means to, to bring to reality, to make flesh. That's kind of what the Holy Spirit does. That's what he does. The Holy Spirit is the one that makes stuff happen. He makes it happen. And he supplies the power for the supernatural miracles in your life. If you have a miracle, that's the power of the Holy Spirit that just moved in your life. You need to say, thank you, Holy Spirit. Right? Thank you, Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Acts 1.8 says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Now he's talking to disciples. Are you a disciple? Yes. Amen. We are disciples, and disciples make disciples, right? And you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. The Holy Spirit makes it happen. The Holy Spirit made the Red Sea part in two. The Holy Spirit enabled Samson to, to kill a lion. Amen? The, the Holy Spirit brought manna to the Israelites. 
He raised Jesus from the dead. He drove the leprosy out when Jesus healed the, 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 the man. He opened the blind eyes when Jesus healed the blind man. He raised Lazarus from the dead. The Holy, Jesus said, Lazarus, come out. Holy Spirit brought him out of that grave. Amen? And the Holy Spirit raised Jesus himself from the dead. I just think that's beautiful. And here's the biggest news. He's the member of the Godhead who's actually here with us right now. Right? He actually lives in us. He flows in us. God's on his throne. Jesus sent at the right hand of the Father. He sent the Holy Spirit to be with us. That is who is with us right now. So I want to talk for the rest of today about what that means. For this same Holy Spirit who did all this really cool stuff in the Bible, did all these wonders in Scripture, what does that mean for him to be alive and desiring to operate in, in your life today. In John chapter 14 through 16, there's three chapters there. You could turn there if you want to. But Jesus Christ is having this really cool conversation with his disciples. It's right towards the end of his life. They're in the upper room. They're having the Last Supper. They're doing all that good stuff. You know, Da Vinci is painting the painting, so they're posing. Um, <laughs> it's that one. And so these are the last, some of the last words of Jesus to his disciples. And we get, it's so cool because like time slows down, we get three whole chapters of Jesus talking to them. This conversation, it's really beautiful. John chapter 14, the last things he, and he's giving them a heads up of what's about to happen because he knows they're going to freak out. So he's giving them a heads up. He's telling them, don't, don't get excited. I'm sending someone else. I'm sending the Holy Spirit. And he uses a very interesting term when he refers to the Holy Spirit over and over when he introduces him. Let's look at John chapter 14, verse 16. He says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate. Another advocate. Meaning Jesus was, an, was our advocate. And this one is going to be like Jesus. Right? He's going to be like me. Another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. Notice here he says him, him, he, with you, right? These are, these, the Bible never refers to the Holy Spirit as an it. It's always a him. It's a person, right? The third person of the Trinity. Notice also Jesus promises the Holy Spirit will be with you how long? Forever. Now really this Greek word for forever here, it actually means forever. It doesn't mean for 14 more years. Forever. Jesus said forever, so I'm going to believe him. He said forever. He's, in other words, Jesus is telling him he's not going to come and then leave like I'm about to, because Jesus came, and then he was about to leave. He's not going to be like that. He's going to be with you forever. The word advocate. Some say this word advocate. Uh, some of your translations will say helper, uh, it's also translated consoler. Uh, the old King James, I think, says comforter, right? But it's this word, it's from, in the Greek, it's parakletos, parakletos. And uh, you've pro you might have heard this before, but it's made up of these two little words, para, which means beside or close beside, and kletos, which is to call on. And so the, the idea back in his day when they would say a parakletos or a paraclete, they would call it, that, that would be like a legal advocate. For you, it would be an advisor or someone who contends for your cause, right? How many of you know when you're in trouble, you want to have a good lawyer, right? You want somebody who knows the system, who maybe you know studied it more than you have, 
right? And, and that's somebody who contends for your cause. So what does the parakletos do here? Jesus unpacks really beautifully over these three chapters throughout this passage. He, he, first he says here in verse 16, he's going he's gonna to help, he's going to be a helper, he's going to help, he's going to be with us forever. And then in verse 17, he calls him the spirit of truth. And then in verse 26, if you skip down, he says, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I've said to you. And then right after this, what does he say in verse 27? Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. It's another direct reference to the Holy Spirit. He, had, he, he's, he hadn't shifted gears here. He's still talking about the Holy Spirit. It's another function, the bringer of peace. Look at what else he says in, in chapter 16. He says, and when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. So here we see another huge role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. He's the one who convicts our hearts. And this is really important because none of us would be here today without the Holy Spirit convicting our hearts, would we? Right? We're, we are, you know, it's nothing personal, but none of us are smart enough to receive Jesus without the Holy Spirit. None of us are able to because we're in sin, right? We're born in sin. The Holy Spirit convicts our heart. Without him drawing us closer to Christ, not only would we not be able to believe on him and receive him as our Savior, we wouldn't even know we needed a Savior, right? I remember thinking at a time in my life, you know, as long as I'm pretty good, I'm pretty good. I don't need a Savior. I haven't killed anybody, right? I keep my hatred and anger under check, you know, not too many people know about it, right? I, you know, there, there's people who are like, I'm, I'm pretty good. I keep my greed under check, you know. I, you know, or at least I sort of laugh it off and turn it into a joke, right? I keep my racism under check. I don't need a savior. Well, we do. We need a savior. Hallelujah. Amen. Why does the Holy Spirit convict us? Because he loves us. He loves us. The word for convict literally means to prove someone wrong. It just means to prove someone wrong. Because we're so convinced, aren't we? Without the Holy Spirit, we walk around wrongly convinced, and he proves us wrong. Conviction does not mean the same thing, as some people assume, as condemnation. Amen? Now, this is an idea that is much abused and much misunderstood in the church. But conviction is not the same as condemnation. There's a big difference. Condemnation is the enemy of your soul. Condemnation is never from God. Condemnation is the enemy that wants to remind you that you are guilty even for sins that you've confessed to God. That's condemnation. And there's no condemnation to he who is in Christ, he or she who are in Christ Jesus. But conviction is a sin that's not been confessed yet. And so the Holy Spirit brings conviction because he loves us. It's, it's been described as a godly sorrow that leads to repentance. He loves you too much to leave you the way you're at, where you're at, right? And so, and so he brings conviction to our hearts. It's, it's one of the most gracious dimensions of the Holy Spirit. Who knows where we'd end up without the conviction of the Holy Spirit. So don't think about conviction as, as, you know, the God, he's waiting up there to throw lightning bolts on your head from the top of the mountain. That's not, that's not conviction. It's more like God waiting to restore you so that there is right relationship between you and him. You know, we, we hear about the Holy Spirit, and there's things that we hear that he's, uh, 
He's the spirit of peace. He's the comforter. Have you heard that before? He's the comforter. That he will guide us. We love that kind of stuff about the Holy Spirit. We want to hear about the Holy Spirit as comforter, but often we push back against the Holy Spirit as convictor. And please hear me on this. If you don't listen to the convicting voice of the Holy Spirit, you're not going to hear the comforting voice of the Holy Spirit. And you're not going to hear the guiding voice of the Holy Spirit because you can't pick and choose his voices, right? You can't tune out one voice of the Holy Spirit and just hear the rest of it. And a lot of us are like, oh, Holy Spirit, I need, I need your guidance or I need your comfort right now. But we've been ignoring his conviction for years. And we're wondering, why don't I hear from God? You are. You just don't like what you're hearing, right? Amen. If you're not willing to listen to everything the Holy Spirit has to say, you're not going to be able to hear anything he has to say. So, so that's something that every so often we need to, I think, stop and just ask him, Holy Spirit, is there anything I'm ignoring? Is there anything that you've been trying to say to me that I've been brushing aside? Forgive me. Speak to me fresh. Amen. Amen. We have to learn to listen to that still, small voice of the Spirit. Let's keep going. Let's keep going. In verse 12, he says, I still have, this is Jesus still talking, I still have many things to say to you, but you can't bear them now. You can't handle the truth. But when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. You'll be able to handle it later. For he will not speak of his own, on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. He will declare to you the things that are to come. Now, that's cool right? The Holy Spirit will teach us and guide us because he knows the future. You know, one of the number one questions Christians have, number one questions people, people come up and ask me all the time is, what's God's will for my life? What's God want me to do? What, what is he, what's going to happen? What's going to happen in the future? What does God want me to do now, right? If you want to know God's will, get to know God's Spirit. Get to know his Holy Spirit because he's talking. He's talking to all of us, right? The Bible, you know, uh, I heard um, Robert Morris point out something really good. He, he pointed out the, the Bible contains the general will of God. The general will of God is in the Bible. If you want to know the specific will of God, it's the voice of the Holy Spirit, right? That's, that's the voice of the Holy Spirit. So, so we know his general will through his word. So in other words, if you want to know uh, how to, you know, have, how to have a good marriage, Go to the Word. Go to the Bible. It'll show you, right? It has the principles for having a good marriage. If you want to know who to marry, you go to the Holy Spirit. you got to be tuned into that, right? If you want to know how to manage your money, the Bible will tell you how to be a good steward of your money. If you want to know, should I buy this house, you better be tuned into the Holy Spirit. The specific, right? So we go to the Holy Spirit for the specific will. We go to the Bible for His general will. Um, That's just a little extra, totally free. There you go. Number 14, uh, verse 14, he says, he will, here's something else the Holy Spirit does. He will glorify me for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. This is one of the unexpected personality traits of the Holy Spirit. It's so beautiful. He always points to Jesus. He always points to Jesus. He never wants the attention for himself. He never barges in and says, hey, everybody, it's me. I'm the Holy Spirit. Check me out. Right? No. The Holy Spirit, to me, is like, now this is going to be sacrilegious to some of y'all, but to me, the Holy Spirit is like the ultimate wingman. The Holy Spirit walks in and goes, hey, have you seen my friend Jesus? Yeah. Right? That's the Holy Spirit. He's always pointing the attention to Jesus. Right? 
Even at Pentecost, think about that. The Pentecost was this really powerful time. You know, it was, it was woo, it was amazing. The Holy Spirit comes into them, rushes into them, flames on their head. They're speaking other languages. They speak, and it all points to Jesus. What does he get up and preach? Jesus. Jesus Christ crucified, and thousand people get saved, right? See, the Holy Spirit, he knows he knows what he's for, what he's there for. He wants to point it back to Jesus, to lead hearts back to Jesus. In chapter 15, back, back a little bit in verse 26, it says, When the advocate comes, he will testify about me. See? So Jesus said this, that, that when the advocate comes, he's going to testify about me. See, see we, we need to have more of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And when we get more of the Holy Spirit in our lives, you know what we end up looking like? More like Jesus. You get more Holy Spirit, you end up looking like Jesus, because that's what the Holy Spirit points us to. So what have we just seen in these passages? There's several things here we've, we've just seen. The Holy Spirit is here to be with us, to live inside us. The Holy Spirit lives inside us. He helps us, anoints us, empowers us, gives us good gifts. There's things that we haven't even touched on yet. We'll get into in later weeks. The Holy Spirit teaches us truth. By the way, do you know who inspired the Bible to be written? Who inspired all those writers? The Holy Spirit. Now think about that. If you want to understand Scripture, I'm trying to understand this Scripture. It's puzzling. Who do you think you should ask? The one who wrote it. The Holy Spirit. He knows. He's like, oh yeah, I remember that, spot, that, that place. That was a good one. Let me explain what this means, right? The Holy Spirit will guide you. Reveal the truth of Scripture. That's what Jesus said it like four times. The Spirit of truth. He will reveal truth. He will reveal truth. The Holy Spirit brings peace. He testifies about Jesus. He convicts us. He, he guides us in God's will, right? Lets us know about future events. And he's our advocate. Romans 8, 26 even says that he intercedes for us when we're weak, when we're ignorant about what to pray for. This is just a taste of what the Holy Spirit does in our life. Now, we got time. Oh, yeah, we got, we got time. Back up a few verses here. In, verse, in chapter 16, the disciples are really sad because Jesus, you know, is telling them, I'm fixing to, I'm fixing to leave. And uh, he says this, but very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I'll send him to you. Now, how many of you have ever thought to yourself, man, I just wish I could have lived in the time of Jesus. Have you ever had that? I've thought about that. That would be so awesome. Can you imagine, like, Jesus, like, hearing he's in Conroe, you could get in your car and go see Jesus? How awesome would that be? See him face to face? That would be so awesome. I'd give anything. People, people say, I would give anything to be, to be able to live in a time I could walk right up to Jesus in the flesh. Jesus actually tells his disciples it's better for you that I go away. And he had to say, he had to say verily, verily, just because they had a hard time believing it. <laughs> right? It's, <laughs> it's true, I know, you know, it's, but it's better that I go away. Think about that. He's been with these disciples through thick and thin, through all the storms, literal storms, right? He's been with them through everything, and he's telling them, it's better if I go away. And his disciples start freaking. They're like, are you serious? Wait, what? Why? Why? How is this better? And he says, if I don't go away, the Holy Spirit doesn't come. You ever hear people say, oh, I wish I could have just walked those shores of Galilee with Jesus, right? Oh, I wish I could have just been there. I would have asked him. I'd ask him so many questions. If he were there today, I'd just ask him so many questions. No, you wouldn't. 
You wouldn't actually because because Jesus, Jesus, uh, if Jesus hadn't gone away, think about this. You wanted to ask God a question. You wanted to ask Jesus a question. Number one, you'd have to get on a plane, fly to Tel Aviv, which is a very busy airport, right? Go through security, get in a taxi, drive for a couple hours to the Sea of Galilee, all the way there. And then when you get there, there'd be about a million people crowded around Jesus. So you'd be in the back like this, million people. And, and, and so good luck, you know, making your way to the front of this crowd to ask him your question. And, and then if he, if he finally does, if Jesus is working his way through the crowd, he's, you know, he's, uh, he, he's ministering to people because he's Jesus. You know, that's what he does. He ministers to people. He's hearing their questions. He's praying for people. Assuming he's got to sleep every once in a while. The Bible said he slept while he was here. You got to eat every once in a while. Uh, so what's going to happen is you're going to be camping out for about four years. And then you, once you get there, you have about 60 seconds of Jesus all to your yourself, right? To, to, for him to pray for you, to you to ask him your big question. After four years of camping out, you get 60 seconds with Jesus, and then you are done talking to Jesus for the rest of your life. But you know what's so wonderful? Is that the Holy Spirit is here. The Holy Spirit can have three million, three billion different conversations going on at the same time with three billion different people in many different languages and many different continents all at the same time. Right now, the same Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit is actually wants to talk and commune with you. He wants to talk to you. He wants to, to be with you personally throughout your day. That's why Jesus said, it's better if I go away. It's going to be, you don't, you don't get it, but it's going to be better if I go away. He said, there's things that I can't even tell you now. You, your brain would explode, but the Holy Spirit's going to communicate that with you. It's actually physically possible to be with God, to hear God's voice, to talk to him, to know him better if I go away. See, you don't have to share God's attention with three million other people in the crowd. You don't have to share his attention. You don't have to wait your turn. You don't get 60 seconds and you got to say it fast. And if you don't, no soup for you, right? <laughs> And guess what? Those other areas of your life where you do need, where you do need you know, some, some flesh and blood, comfort and support, the body of Christ is right here among you. Right here, sitting right here. So nobody walks alone, right? This is the body of Christ. So we see that Jesus was right because in the book of Acts, Jesus leaves. What happens? The church explodes, it explodes, and his disciples, this bunch of bickering, ignorant, simple-minded fishermen and rejects, what happens? They turn into super disciples. They start doing what they never did before with, with confidence, right, and authority they never had. So this must have been a good thing. And guess what? He hasn't left us yet. The Holy Spirit hasn't left us yet. He's still with us. He's still communing with us. He's right here with you, your very own Holy Spirit, right here with you, your friend, your comforter your advocate, that same Holy Spirit that fell on the disciples. He's giving the same gifts, the same fruit of the Spirit, the same manifestations, the same comfort, the same leading. He's still here. He hadn't changed. He hadn't gone away. Jesus said he was never, he's going to be here forever. Jesus said he would never leave us as orphans. He would never forsake us. Today is probably one of humanity's darkest hours spiritually, right? 
I, I know we're like more prosperous than we've ever been throughout human history. Spiritually speaking, it's rough. We need the Holy Spirit more than ever. The Holy Spirit would not abandon us today of all days. The Holy Spirit is here. Jesus called him the spirit of truth. Why do you think that is? Because truth sets people free. We need to be set free. People all around us, our community needs to be set free. And, and you know when you're in trouble is when you're confused. That is when you're the most in trouble. When you're depressed, it's because you're confused. When you're down, it's because you're not seeing things clearly. Right? He's the spirit of truth. He helps you see reality. He helps you see things clearly. Right? You ever just had that feeling like, I'm just down today, I'm, I got, I'm oppressed, I'm depressed. I mean, I know like this and that isn't that big a deal, but I just feel so depressed. You're not seeing clearly, right? The Holy Spirit cuts through all of that and reminds you, hey, you're my child. You're my boy. You're my daughter. I got this taken care of. Be at peace. He helps us see things clearly. Reality is good when you're a Christian. Right? It's not, it's not escapism. The reality is good news. The good news is we're free and that Jesus has an answer in our life. Hallelujah. Jesus was like disciples. Guys, I mean, you guys get to be around me. This Holy Spirit is going to be in you. In you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I know, that's exciting to me. And this was a whole new thing for the disciples to hear. That this Holy Spirit's going to come, he's going to be with us forever and ever. Because in the, in the Old Testament, the Spirit of God shows up in the Old Testament. Did you know that? Many times the Spirit of God shows up. But in the Old Testament, he would show up and he would descend on people on occasion. And then he would depart. Right? He'd come and go. The Bible says he would come. He would be with Saul and then he would leave Saul. Saul would get all down, Right? Right? <laughs> Same with David. You remember when, you know, when David like sinned really bad with Bathsheba? And say, what did David cry out? He said, God, don't take your spirit from me. So you don't have to pray that today. Today, Jesus told us the Holy Spirit will never leave us, never forsake us. So many Christians today live like they're living a spirit-free life. When we need to be living a spirit-filled life, a spirit-led life, a spirit-empowered life. Because he's here. He's here. He's been given to you and me. Hallelujah. There's one more passage in Paul's second letter to the Corinthians I want to look at. It just really perfectly paints what this Holy Spirit's role in the Godhead is when it comes to you today. In 2 Corinthians 13, 4, we get a picture of the the whole Trinity in one verse. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. This is such an illuminating scripture here because notice he doesn't, he doesn't say, may the fellowship of Jesus be with you. It's the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because Jesus isn't here. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father, right? We talk about Jesus living in our hearts and, and, and that's a, you know, a, a pretty figure of speech. The truth is, he's sitting at the right hand of the Father. The scripture even tells us that the way he went is the way he's going to come back someday. Hallelujah. There is going to be a day Jesus returns, the second coming, right? Stephen, it says, uh, the apostle Stephen, when he was being stoned to death, it says that in the book of Acts, it says the heavens were opened and he looked up and he saw Jesus at the right hand. 
He saw him, the person of the Godhead, who is here with us today as the Holy Spirit. So this word fellowship is really cool. It's a word that's so special and so full of meaning. And it's really at the core of who we are at Generations Church, who we want to be, who God has called us to be at Generations Church. When you hear us talking so much about relationship, 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 it's because this is the core of it. I hear at Generations Church, this word is koinonia, koinonia, the fellowship, the koinonia of the Holy Spirit. And it means not just fellowship, but it intimacy. It's an intimate fellowship. It's relationship. This is what the Holy Spirit longs for, your companionship. He longs for a relationship with you. See, with the Holy Spirit, it's not master-servant. It's relationship. It's relationship. God wants to be an intimate friend with you. And for some of you, I know you hear that and you're like, that sounds nice, but I'm not sure if that's true yet. But the Holy Spirit is right there, and he's convicting your heart, and that's what it is. He's, He's saying, let me in. Just I want to be an intimate friend. I want to be a part of your every single day. The Holy Spirit. Not just, he's not just here. You don't just come to church to see the Holy Spirit. He's an everyday friend. It's hard to wrap our mind around that, I know. The one who put the stars in the universe wants to be our friend. But there's more to this word. Koinonia is not just chilling with the Spirit on the back porch with a cold drink. That, that part of the fellowship is okay, but koinonia means partnership. Partnership. Here again, this is what we're about here, generations. We're about having a relationship, but it's also for a reason, right? We, our relationship uh, produces something. And, and this partnership, the Holy Spirit comes in and it fills us in order to accomplish the will and the pleasure of God. Remember? That's what he does. He accomplishes the will and pleasure of God. That's why Jesus said, it's better if I go, because then you're going to do things like I do. In fact, you're going to do greater things than these. Greater things than these. It's a partnership, this, this fellowship, this relationship. Greater things. See, we are living in the best time in history. You don't have to wish no more. Oh, if I could have just lived in that first century with Jesus. You are living in the best possible time in history, the best time to be alive. There were t- Did you know there were times in history where only one person could hear from God at a time? It's true. Like you had to go to the priest, right? Only the priest got to hear from him. In fact, there was a time, a 400-year period that went by in the Bible that God did not speak to a single person that we know of. 400 years. He didn't speak to any of the priests, none of the rabbis. He was silent. On Acts chapter 2, this is why when, when the apostle stood up there, Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost and he said, guys, my fellow human beings, this is what the prophet Joel was speaking about. What you're witnessing here, this is what the prophet Joel said hundreds of years ago. This, that in the last days, you will prophesy, you'll see visions, you'll dream dreams. It's happening, guys. His Holy Spirit is poured out onto the earth, and we're still living in it. We're still living in that. Hallelujah. We're living in the greatest time because God desires to speak with you, and he desires to speak with me. The Holy Spirit, he wants to have a personal relationship with you. You don't have to schedule an appointment with him. You don't have to wait in line. You don't have to schedule an appointment with the preacher and ask him, what does God want in my life? Because you have a standing appointment with the Holy Spirit. He wants to know you personally. He wants to know you intimately. Amen?
Amen. Today, when was the, the last time you told the Holy Spirit that you loved him? The Holy Spirit. When was the last time you thanked him for what he does? You can talk to the Holy Spirit. It's allowed. There's not three gods. It's one God in three persons. You can talk to the Holy Spirit. Most of the prayers in the Bible we see are directed towards the Father. But there's some prayers in, in the epistles that were prayed towards Jesus. They prayed to Lord Jesus, come, right? And there are prayers that were prayed to the Spirit, thanking the Spirit of God. So it's allowed, right? Don't, don't get hung up on that. If you ignore one-third of the Godhead, you're operating basically at two-thirds capacity, two-thirds spiritual capacity. So let's be full throttle. Amen? Amen. Let's be full throttle.